Um, all right, so I have a word for you guys today, and um, I'm excited about it, as I usually am, but I was not really sure if I had hit what the Lord wanted, and then in our pre-service prayer, like four of the things people heard from the Lord were parts of my message, so I thought, okay, praise God, we're hearing the right thing. This is good. So I don't have any screen, uh, any slides for you on the screen, so you're going to have to use your Bible um, or your U version on your phone if you don't have a Bible with you. So before we get started, I wanted to do a little reminder, okay. So if you've been here for any length of time, you know we are very intentional people. We are an intentional church. What does that mean? That means I think at some level we're maybe allergic to floundering. And if you guys remember when Rodney Hoke was here in February, he made this comment, in the kingdom of God, we are only going closer or we're moving away. There is no parking. You guys remember that? There's no point in our life with Jesus that we're actually idle. If we're idle, we're actually pulling away from the Lord. And so I I think that's sort of our philosophy around here, that we're either moving closer or we're backing away. So we're really diligent to be intentional with how we order our lives, how we order our services, all that kind of stuff. We want to make sure we're doing what God wants because this is his house. It's his church. So in January, we had our Vision Sunday, a little plug for we're having another one this coming January where we'll talk about what God's saying for 2020. But this past January, we shared with you guys on our Vision Sunday what our 2019 uh, sort of prophetic promise was. Do you guys remember what it is? Thank you. Rise up and build. Right. So we got halfway there. We got two more months for you guys to memorize it. It's, it's really easy. It's three <laughs> words. Uh, <laughs> But we gave magnets to everybody. We made sweatshirts. We did all this stuff. We gave you journals because we wanted this theme to be in our hearts that for 2019, God had opened a grace for us to build our lives with Jesus in a deeper way and to also come together and build the kingdom together. You guys remember this? So we spent most of the first part of this year talking about ways you can go deeper in God. We did a series on worship. We talked about how to spend time with the Lord, all that kind of stuff. And in the last few months, we've been talking about what does it look like to come together to build the kingdom together. So we've done a series on discipleship. We've had our equipping nights that have been amazing, talking about the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, the one coming up next week on uh, spiritual warfare and and discernment. And, um, And so the reason why we've done that is because we're being intentional, right? We're trying to say, okay, Lord, if this is what you want for us, then we have to apply ourselves to that. We have to make the decision to order our time, our day, our life around what you're saying so we get the most out of it. So we've got two more months in this year. Last week I said to my family, we got three months left, and they all looked at me and were like, no, October is basically over. So I was corrected. We've got two more months. And in the book of Psalms, one of my favorite scriptures says this, he crowns the year with his goodness. You guys know this scripture? So about every October, I start looking at my year and saying, all right, Lord, what's the cherry on top you're going to put on this year? What's the thing I've been contending for, I've been believing for, I've been trying to apply in my life that you're gonna help me push over the edge so I can end the year well? So that's what we're doing. We got two months left of Rise Up and Build and we are being very, very intentional with that. Amen? Amen. All right, so I'm gonna read some things to you guys today and I'm gonna read them slowly uh, because I want you to absorb what I'm talking about today. So the first one is off of Grant's Facebook page. Okay, so... I'm going to read a quote to you. So if you guys are friends with him on Facebook, you may have already seen this. But he and I have been doing a a book study. He's a lot farther than I am. He made sure everybody knew at pre-service prayer. Um, (laughs) It's okay. 
but it's an amazing book. It's called How, When Heaven Invades Your Finances. And it's by a guy named Jim Baker with 1K. And he is a young guy in Ohio. He's a pastor. And um, man, there's so much revelation in this book about why God even created money and what it's there for. It's so good. I encourage you to get this book. Um, but this is what he says. This is an excerpt from the book, okay? He's quoting Dallas Willard, who's a theologian. So we're going to have a two-part quote. Dallas Willard and Jim Baker. Here we go. Dallas Willard says, all human troubles come from thinking of God wrongly. Let's say this one more time. Dallas Willard says, all human troubles come from thinking of God wrongly. There are many people who do not see God properly and therefore do not experience who he really is. It's getting good. He says, in the kingdom, you don't get what you need, you get what you believe that is in alignment to his truth. So this is in reference to finances in particular. And he says, to the extent that you believe the true nature of God is the extent that you will experience him in your life. Let me read this to you again. To the extent that you believe the true nature of God is the extent you will truly experience him in your life. He goes on to say this, your mind is like the valve that, that, that determines the flow of abundant life from heaven. If you think God is harsh, judgmental, crabby, then the goodness of God will not flow in your life the way he wants because that's not what you have faith for. Unfortunately, some people may read the fruit of their own negative perception and attitudes rather than the goodness of grace of God in Jesus. It's It's sobering. It's powerful, but it's true. Uh, in, in, in the worship time, uh, Wally had a word from the Lord about the favor of God. And, and I think it applies to this uh, concept really beautifully that some of us believe God isn't favoring us. We think maybe something we've done or we just weren't picked or whatever, and so the favor of God isn't at work at us. But when we believe that, it shuts him off from being able to do what he wants to do. Why? Because what we're looking for, that's what we apply our faith to. So if we're looking for God to be angry with us, guess what? It's going to be hard to experience the goodness of God. All right, so all human troubles come from thinking of God wrongly. Well, that's not scripture, but it is very thought-provoking, right? It is something we have to really think about. And in my personal opinion, I think this is very, very true. I want to read uh, some words of Jesus for you guys. So pull up on your version. We're going to do Luke chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 43 through 49. I'm going to read to you guys out of the Passion Translation. And again, I'm going to read this really slowly because I want to absorb it. I want you guys to absorb it, okay? So here's what it says. This is Jesus talking. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 49. He says this. You'll never find choice fruit hanging on a bad, unhealthy tree. Let me say this again. You'll never find choice fruit hanging on a bad, unhealthy tree. And rotten fruit doesn't hang on a good, healthy tree. Every tree will be revealed by the quality of fruit that it produces. Figs or grapes will never be picked off of thorn trees. Now catch this. Jesus says, people are known in this same way. Out of the virtue stored in their hearts, good and upright people will produce good fruit. But out of the evil hidden in their hearts, evil ones will produce what is evil. For the overflow of what has been stored in your heart will be seen by your fruit and will be heard in your words. 
That one bears repeating, okay? So here, let's say this one more time. For the overflow of what has been stored in your heart will be seen by your fruit and will be heard in your words. And then he goes on to say this. This isn't a separate scripture. This is one continuous monologue from Jesus. He says this, verse 46. What good does it for you to say, I am your Lord and master, if what I teach you is not what you put in practice? Ooh, Jesus. And then he says this, let me describe the one who truly follows me and does what I say. He is like the man who chooses the right place to build a house and then lays a deep and secure foundation. When the storms and floods rage against that house, it continues to stand strong and unshaken through the tempest, for it has been wisely built on a right foundation. But the one who has heard my teaching and does not obey it is like a man who builds his house without laying any foundation whatsoever. When the storms and floods rage against that house, it will immediately collapse and become a total loss. Then Jesus leans in and asks us this question, which of these two builders will you be? Which of these two builders will you be? What Jesus is saying, and I believe what Dallas Willard was getting at as well, is that what's inside of you comes out. There's no way around that. What's inside of you, what you've been storing, what you've been hiding, what you've been sowing into you, good or bad, is who you are. It's what you're looking for. It's what you're expecting from God. So we got to be good at tending to that place, right? When Jesus is talking about building a deep and secure foundation, he's talking about what's the, in the hidden places of you. We lived in Norman on a, uh, in a neighborhood right off of a two-lane road several years ago, and they decided to repave the section of road right in front of our neighborhood. And, you know, it wasn't that big, so we thought it wouldn't take very long. I think it was like nine months or more that they paved this road, and it was our only way in and out of the neighborhood, so you can imagine that was real practice in the fruit of the Spirit and patience and gentleness and kindness, right? And there were days where we'd get there and we'd go, oh, yes, they got, it's flat. They've, paid, they've you know, flattened it all out. They got the steamroller thing. I don't know building terms, so I'm sorry for all of you that are good at building um, and know these terms. But it was all flat. It was like the next step is concrete. And we'd come back two days later and it was all like undone again. And it was back and forth and back and forth. And what we learned was to build a road that will last takes time. There's a lot of repetition involved because of the way they're preparing the soil. It's the same in our lives, right? Okay, you guys know I'm a little bit of a brain nerd, so here's some brain science for you, but this is absolutely, we've gotta understand this. So you live, I've said this to you before, you live the bulk of your life from your subconscious mind. 80, studies show that about 80 to 90% of what you do, what you think, why you eat the foods you like, where you drive to, your patterns, your habits, the words you say, it's all being on autopilot from your subconscious mind. How does it get into your subconscious mind? Because we fixate on it long enough that it becomes physical brain matter deeper in the recesses of your brain. This is what I believe Jesus is talking about when he's talking about laying a good, secure foundation, is he's challenging us to make sure our subconscious mind is the way it's supposed to be. Why? Because don't you want your autopilot to take you towards God? right? You want the patterns of your life to lead you closer to Jesus, to be in line with scripture, to, to mirror who he is and what he actually wants to do in your life so that we can step into that abundance. The abundant life, it flows out of a good foundation. You have to have a good foundation to step into that John 10, 10 promise that we've all been given, right? 
For a lot of us, we're trying to figure out, why do I not have this happening in my life, but the internal foundation is not there? But unfortunately, in the kingdom of God, nothing happens overnight. It takes a long time to build a road. It takes a long time for a seed to become a tree. It takes a long time for you to get a deep, secure foundation. Jesus is not asking you, do you have faith for a quick fix? He's asking you, do you have faith to trust me for the repetition involved in building a deep and secure foundation? It goes back to his question for us this morning, which builder are you going to be? Because the statement in this verse, what is it, verse 48 and verse 49, it doesn't say if a trial comes your way. It says when the storms and the floods come against you, that's what's left. There's no promise in scripture, right, that we're going to be unscathed in this life. It doesn't exist. The Christian life is not a life of promise that we don't have to have pain. It's a presence in the midst of whatever comes our way. And so I think that our pain, our our trials, our storms, whatever, I think they create a desperation in us. And I think that desperation has a way in revealing who we actually are on the deep part of us the hidden part of us, the part that's actually producing our fruit. Like, I I had visions of grandeur of bringing in a dead tree. I couldn't find one because miracles happen, guys. All of my plants are alive. This is incredible. Uh, You guys know my story. Thank you. Uh, I I had black thumbs by the grace of God. I have, uh, what's the step below green? They're turning green. They're coming alive. Uh, But I've spent this whole year trying to tend well to my live plants, and they're all still alive. So I didn't have a dead tree to bring to you. But I want you to picture this. If I had choice fruit and I duct taped it onto a dead tree, ain't nobody fooled by that, right? But that's what we think when we come to church. Well, I'll just tape a lemon on here and everybody will be like, woo, look at that lemon. But everybody knows that's not coming out of you because what's inside of you is either going to, you see what I'm saying? We can't fool anybody with the tiniest bit of scrutiny. Everybody's going to be able to tell, first of all, you. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, what's inside of you is coming out whether you want it to or not. So make sure what's inside of you is actually what you want to be there. All right, I want to read another Dallas Willard quote to you guys. I'm going to read this slow so we can absorb it, okay? This comes from his message, Living in Christ's Presence, Final Words on Heaven and the Kingdom of God, which sounds so thought-provoking, right? All right, so uh, this, I, I, uh, I think this is so good. Okay, here's what he says. Often in churches, we try to get people to affirm the right beliefs and the right point of view. The real test of what I actually believe is this. Does it guide what I do? In other words, he's saying it's not enough to just affirm and say, yeah, that's truth. If we believe it, it guides what we do. He says, for example, if I'm up on a skyscraper, I would never step off because I believe in gravity. I don't have to force myself to believe in gravity. I don't have to hype myself up to do it. I just believe in gravity. So I'm not going to step off that roof unless I'm trying to hurt myself. My actions are always a result of my intentions and my perceptions of how things are. Sometimes in churches, we work to get people to affirm stuff, even though they don't believe in it like they believe in gravity. So somebody will say, this is an example he uses, somebody will say, I believe that the Bible is the inspired, authoritative word of God, but the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive, yet they're not giving. So this is his example. So do they really believe that the Bible is the authoritative, inspired word of God? Well, at one level, they think they do, but the most important level of belief is the mental map of reality. 
What are those perceptions that actually guide how we live and what we do? Because that's simply how reality looks to us. So what we want to do is not simply teach doctrine and get people to affirm it, to say, yes, that's truth. We want people to have the same mental map that Jesus had of how things are. So that's what a deep and secure foundation is. That what's inside of us is actually what's fueling what we believe. Now, I want to say this is a process. So in this room, I'm sure all of us, we're at different places in that process. And there's grace for that, right? The kingdom of God, we're, we just need to be moving closer. Even if we're going at a, a steamroller pace, you know, one centimeter a day or something like that, that's okay. As long as we're moving closer, that's the goal. Amen. But what's important for us to understand is what's inside. What's really fueling me? What's really directing me? So I believe, it's my personal conviction, that our goal in life, right, the goal for all of us, every person on the face of the earth, is to become like Jesus. Not to become God, clearly, but to become like God, right? So this is echoed all in scripture. So it says this, Genesis 1, 27 uh, is when we talk, God talks about we are made in his image, right? We all know that. We're made in the image of God. Did you know that the actual, like, text, that uh, text, the original translation, it says this, that we are his image bearers. So everything we do bears his image. That's how we were created, to be a reflection of him on the earth. Not just made like him, but to be a continual reflection of him. Ephesians 5.1 tells us to be imitators of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about being transformed into his image. Romans 8.29, again, we have this idea of being conformed into the image of Jesus and so many excuse me, other scriptures as well. It's a theme that we are to be like him, to become like him, to be on this journey of transformation. So that's what we're going for, right? We're building a deep and secure foundation. And I feel like it's important for us to stop and take stake of what's actually inside of us so we can make sure we're producing the kind of fruit we want to produce in life. Amen? Amen. Again, nothing happens by accident. You're not just going to sprout avocados when all you've been doing is planting wheat. You're not right? If you want patience in your life, for example, then you have to be sowing in the spirit and patience, practicing patience. Graham Cook says this is why we call it practicing our faith. But a lot of us don't call it practicing our faith. We just call it faith. But then we go to a doctor and a doctor has a practice. So they're allowed to practice medicine, right? Okay, bad joke. Sorry. But that's what we have to get. We have to get comfortable with this idea that I'm always learning, I'm always growing, I'm always reevaluating what's going on inside of me. Okay, Grant got connected recently to this real estate coach that has a really interesting philosophy of how he coaches uh, real estate companies. If you guys don't know, he, he owns a real estate brokerage in town. And so um, he was talking to this guy about his philosophy, and, and this idea was how to build a healthy culture in your brokerage. Okay, And so his whole system of how this man coaches from is from Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Anybody familiar with that? A couple of you? Okay, wow. Um, so in this hierarchy of needs, this is from like the 50s. He was a psychologist back then. I will say, I've done a lot of research on this over this last week. There's not a lot that actually was tested about this theory. So take this with a grain of salt. But there was something about this that I felt was really breathed on for us as a body today. So I'm going to say it to you knowing this is not infallible, right? This is not the word of God. This is an idea that someone had. All right. So here's his concept, that we all have these basic needs, and if our needs are not being met, then we can't fulfill our purpose. 
Does that make sense? So he puts this hierarchy of needs. He makes a triangle, and he goes, here's the step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. And if we get all of these met, then what happens is we begin to need something else, and that's what the next rung on the ladder is. For example, the very basic one is our physical needs. Food, water, rest, right? You gotta have nutrients to be alive. What does this mean? If I'm telling you all day long, hey, you have a purpose. You need to fulfill your purpose. Get out there and shine for Jesus, right? And whatever else we want to say. And you're going, I don't know where I, I'm going to get my next meal from. Your perception is not, I've got to fulfill my purpose. It's, I've got to survive. Right? So that's what he's saying. The base need is survival. It's physical needs. The second need, which I would include in those two together, uh, is safety and security. So think like, um, you know, when you go to sleep at night, if, like if you're a homeless person, for example, if you're sleeping on the street, man, you're not secure. You don't know what's going to happen. If you're in a missionary in Africa and there might be a lion that comes to try to eat you in the middle of the night, I don't know, but uh, you're not secure, right? And so those base two needs, you've got to have nutrients and you've got to be able to stay alive. All humans need this. If we don't have these needs being met, it's very hard to dream right? It's very hard. If you study the, the journey of the Israelites back in the Old Testament, uh, there's this really interesting scripture where they came out of captivity, and then it says, and they became like those who dreamed. Why? Because when they were enslaved, ain't nobody dreaming. <laughs> Why would I waste my time dreaming? I'm just, I'm in misery. Nothing is working for me. And I think this speaks to this sort of idea of these needs that we have. So the first two uh, rungs on this ladder are your basic needs, okay? Physical and safety needs. Now, the third one is where it gets interesting. The third one is what he calls belongingness. He includes love in this. I would include love in, you know, all three, really. We need love in every area of our life. But belongingness, what does this mean? When you're solely thinking about your survival, you're not thinking you need people in your life. It's not where your brain goes. But when you've got your basic needs met, then you start to say, I need people. I need a community. I need to feel like I belong somewhere. The next one goes like this. Once you've got that need met, then it goes to esteem needs. Esteem would be like the feeling of accomplishment. Once you feel like you're safe, you're secure, you know where your food's coming from, and you've got a good support system around you, now all of a sudden I feel this need to feel like I'm contributing to the world. Right? It, it begins to happen on its own. And then the final step he calls self-actualization, which we're going to call for our purposes today, fulfilling your purpose. It's this idea that now I want to do what I was created to do. Right? So again, if that's the goal for all of us, we were created to be like Jesus. We were created to represent him on the earth. And that's where God's taking us. But we're at a place where our basic needs are not being met. There's a dichotomy there that's really hard to get past. And when Grant was explaining this philosophy of this real estate coach to me, it was like, it was like God breathed on this for me. And I started thinking, okay, so as a church, as a church family, where are we at? Where are we at? Where would you say you are? You don't have to answer right now, but just think about it. Where would you say you are? For some of you, if you're still in the very basic two categories, man, don't leave without talking to us. We want to help you. I think a lot of us, to be honest, are in level three. We're looking for belonging. We're looking for love. We're looking to feel secure. We're looking to feel worthy. We're looking to feel human. We're looking to feel cared for. And what I think the enemy has been doing 
is we've been talking all year, in fact, really the last two years, if you've been with us that long, is we've been talking about the purpose of God on the earth, what we are called to do. And if you're still here trying to get these needs met, then it adds this, the enemy just rides on that with such a sense of shame that you're screwing up everything God wants for your life. I hope that's not how you would feel, but I think a lot of us feel that way. We're like, I know I'm not fulfilling my purpose, but I can't figure out why, and all this shame and guilt and condemnation is dumped on you. Listen, today is your day to get out of that. Amen? Today is the day to say, that's not the Lord. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. God is not looking at you and saying, OMG, if you would just suck it up and fulfill this purpose. That's not the heart of God. God is right in the midst of this with you saying, I know you want to feel like you belong. I know you want to feel like you've got people around you. I know you feel lonely. I know that's the beat of your heart, if that's where you would say that you are. I can tell you from my own personal life in this process, you know, when I felt like God finally showed me, here's what you're supposed to do with your life, it was really hard to feel the freedom to go after that because I did feel like I didn't have people on my team. I'm not talking about teams that like, I give them stuff to do. I'm talking about cheerleaders, right? I, I, I didn't have that. I had like maybe one or two people in my life who were saying, yeah, that sounds like God. But most people, just to be honest, were going, I'm not entirely sure that's the Lord. And then after that, it was like, uh, it just unraveled from there. And a couple years ago, through a series of bizarre events that would take me too long to explain to you right now, I ended up at this retreat with a group of women I've shared with you before. I talked with them in my discipleship series. And being in this group of women, all of a sudden now, I felt like I belonged somewhere. Now, to be fair, I felt like I belonged in other places, but this was a different type of belonging. This was a type of belonging amongst people who were called to the same things I am. And something happened in me where all of a sudden I felt this need to do the thing I was called to do. This is what Maslow is talking about. When one gets fulfilled, it actually, it's like, it's a hallway. It's not a pyramid, it's a hallway, right? It actually opens us up to the next place. When we were processing and hearing from the Lord about planting this church about six years ago, Grant had this, um, a series of encounters with the Lord, and one of them, God showed that we were having, uh, how we were building the house, and we've talked about this extensively, but there were four pillars that were building the house. You guys remember? So these are our strategy. This is our strategy of what we do with the church. So it's love, prayer, and worship, equipping and releasing, and God's radical heart for rescue. These are the four pillars. And I was spending time with the Lord a couple years ago, and, and God asked me this very thought-provoking question. you got to love those. And he said, um, so Rachel, what would you do if a thousand people showed up to your church on Sunday? I was like, um, hmm, I have no idea. What would you do, Lord? It's your church. <laughs> that was my actual response. And, uh, and he showed me a picture of the four pillars, and they, they formed into like a tunnel, and there were, there were four different colored blocks on the ground, and the colored blocks were the pillars, and it was a pathway of transformation for people. And I realized, you sneaky dog. <laughs> right? I didn't even realize that's what you had done. You have given us a path for transformation. And as I was studying this Maslow's thing, I was like, this sounds a lot like the four pillars, Lord. Love is the beginning of everything, coming into that place where we're drenched in his presence, where we let go of the junk of the world and the thoughts of the world, where we let our deep and secure foundation become in him and who he has said that we are, right? And when we get that, we're motivated to fuel a devotional life with Jesus through prayer and worship. 
And as we get into his presence and we pray and we worship, man, we become alive. And as we get refined in that place, then we want to be equipped in who we are. Isn't this crazy? And as we get equipped, there's this need that opens up to be released to do that thing. How many of you guys don't raise your hand? Okay. But how many of you have been in a church where it's like, we're going to equip you, but you can't do that here. We just want to talk about it. We don't actually want to do it. Right. Unfortunately, it's a thing. It's a religious thing, but it's a thing. And it's not God's heart because God doesn't waste anything. If he's equipping you for something, he's got a direction for you to shoot that out of you. We talked about this uh, recently, but it's, it's a flow, right? It's not a, we just absorb and then we just grow and that's the end of the kingdom life. It's a flow. It's always moving. So if he's equipping you for something, he wants you to be giving it out. And then as we're giving it out, all of a sudden, all the people who need rescuing become on our radar. They weren't before because all I could think about was myself because I'm too consumed with all of what I am not doing, how I'm not measuring up, how, I'm, how I suck, how I'm unworthy, all these garbage thinking, right? But now that that's gone and I, and, and I get to this place where I'm like, oh, I never saw you all before. And then we become, can I just say, like Kanye. <laughs> And we put out a whole album of straight doctrine. I just listened to the whole thing this morning, cried through half of it, because you can't write that if you don't believe it, guys. The Bible says you can't say those things if you're demonized. Okay? So you're not going to have an invitation to salvation at the end of your album if you don't actually believe it. And I I read this article about him. I thought it was so good. And, And this person was saying, when I came to salvation, all of a sudden it was like my driving need to tell everyone, oh, this was out here all along? There's wholeness? There's freedom? I gotta tell everybody. And that's what happens when we begin to be aware of God's radical heart to rescue, that no one is exempt, that God is not willing for anyone to perish. Let me just say that again. God is not willing for anyone to perish. It is not his heart that anyone is separated from him. We have to renew our mind in that, and we have to start thinking, you know what? I was thinking you're in judgment against these different people, but wow, you're not in judgment against somebody. At some level, he wants to reform and redeem, but it's his heart that's going, you just don't know what you're missing. You don't know how alive you can be. Let me get your basic needs met so that you can go on and do the things God's asked you to do. Amen? So again, I feel like where we are as a church is probably somewhere around step number three. I think we're at varying points. I think some of us are maybe closer uh, beyond step three, but a lot of us are in step three, and it begs this question. So what are we going to do to feel like we belong? At what point are we going to say, I'm done thinking I'm the outsider? Is that too intense? Sorry. Here's what happened to me. When we were in Waco years and years ago, we had uh, our pastoral oversight changed and we had a new pastor and his wife that came in and we were serving under them. And the Lord had told us, we were planning on moving to Seattle to help a church out there. We were like gung-ho about it. We had spent some time with the Gothic youth culture out there and I was like, these are my people. It was weird. I'm weird. It's fine. But, uh, <laughs> and so we had just had Eli. He was like two months old and one of the prophetic voices in our church was there ministering and he came to us and he goes, you know those moments where you're like, whoa, that was like personal information you just threw out in front of everybody. It wasn't bad, but he said, the Lord's saying it's not time for you to go yet. And there was like three people who knew we were having this plan to move to Seattle. And he said, I want you to, so the Lord is saying you need to put your roots down in Waco. 
And it was like, okay, I don't want to do that, Lord. I was already, you know, Seattle's really cool if you've ever been there. It's kind of like the, the dream place to lay it down for the kingdom, although it's really hard land. Um, and so anyway, so we were all excited about it. We're like, what does this look like? And then around that same time, we got new pastors, and it became very clear very quickly, God wanted these people to have an investment in our life so that we could be whole. I can tell you unequivocally, we are sane because of them. They have been some of the greatest influences in our life. And after they were getting settled and finding friends, I began to notice that there were other people who were getting to know them better than me, and I was jealous, okay? We talked about this, right? Jealousy is fruit of the flesh. It's not fruit of the spirit, but that's how it was, man. We lived in the same neighborhood, and I would drive by, and I'd see my friend's car there, and I just counted myself out every single time, and I would go, oh, why is she over there again? Just whining to the Lord. And, uh, and I was legitimately whining. It was actually pain in my heart, just to be honest. It's funny to me now, but this was a long time ago. And, um, and he said, well, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, of course I'm not going to do anything about it, Lord. That would require me saying something to her, and that feels very painful. Like, what if I'm right? You know, what if she's like, yeah, you're not my person. Like, no. <laughs> what would I do, right? And, um, and so I was like, I don't know what to do. And I began to search my heart, and I began to decide I feel like we are here because of them. That's how I felt. I had this prophetic word. We are here. There's something I'm supposed to get. Am I going to let my fear of rejection keep me from what God has for me? And it was a line in the sand moment for me, just to be honest. And I decided, just personally, heck no. If I'm going to count myself out, it's going to be because God told me, not because I just was defeated. It's just my personal personality. And, um, and so I said, I said, what should I do? And I had this idea. I knew she really liked the big drinks from Sonic at happy hour. So I was like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to just drop by with a drink. So I'm like, hey, what's your favorite Sonic drink? And I just dropped by, gave it to her. I said, listen, there's no strings attached. I just want to be your friend. And I'm telling you, man, that relationship was one of the key in the top three of my life, most formative relationships. And there were times Grant was working. He'd have long hours sometimes as a home inspector. And so I would just hang out with my one-year-old kid who probably doesn't even remember. And we'd have dinner with their family. We'd be over there just talking. And she's like, hey, we're making tacos. Do you want to stay? And I'm like, yeah, Grant's working. We'll stay. And it became this beautiful relationship that transformed me because I chose to not count myself out and to get what God had for it. There were other friendships in her life that were closer than mine, just to be honest. There were other natural connections that were more natural than mine was. But it was God, if you're here, connect. And I just feel like that for us this morning. If you're here, let's not let anything hinder you from being in community with people. I'm going to let you absorb that for a second. I'll say it again. Then you can amen. <laughs> So let's not let anything hinder you from connecting with people. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. So here's the deal. We, I, I mentioned earlier, we we're making some changes in our service. You know, um, I, I am not a fan of church meet and greet times. I just need to go on record as having said that, okay? But, but it's not always what I want, okay? Uh, that's a healthy thing to learn as an adult, right? McCovey's dying laughing because he knows. Uh, it's true. It's not always about us, right? And, and so we were praying as a leadership team. We were asking the Lord, if, if we're at step three, how do we jumpstart this? How do we put the defibrillator paddles and say, we've got to get people connected? First of all, you guys have to make the choice to let go of those lies, okay? I can't do that for you. I just, I'm encouraging you. I'm pleading with you, and I'm telling you they're lies, I'm telling you, don't let that stuff be in your mind, that you don't count, that you're not fun, that nobody wants to be around you, that, you know, all of those thoughts, it's just garbage because it's the enemy putting all these roadblocks to keep you from something that actually could be good for you. 
The second thing is we're going to make space in our services to have some connection. So we're going to do it differently each week so you get to be like, surprise, right? <laughs> so you're never going to know when we're going to, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but we're not going to do it the same every time. Sometimes it'll look like, hey, go pray for someone. Sometimes it'll look like this morning, hey, give, get, tell somebody something about your life. But why are we doing that? Because we're being intentional to let you guys have opportunities while you're here to connect. The reality is we live all over the metro. We're so spread out. And so because of that, it's sometimes hard to feel connected because you're, you're over here, you're over here, and the person you did think you had a natural connection with, you're an hour drive away, and now what are you going to do? Well, I wanted to show you something. This is a new invention. This box right here, it actually does a lot of messaging, and you can write incredible things on it, but it has this really fascinating feature I want to show you. It looks like a, a phone. And if you click on it, there's phone numbers there of people. And you can actually click on the person's name, and they will answer. What? I know. Come on. This is like breaking news. And I, I get it. I am not a phone person, OK? But here's what I found in myself. This is where I had to come to in myself. Am I going to let my annoyance of talking on the phone keep me from having community? That's what I had to ask myself. Is it that big of a deal, Rachel? So I decided, okay, I'm going to try this phone thing. This was like last year. I'm going to try, and I only called, like, there's only three people that I started with, right? Because i got to figure this out because I'm a millennial, and I wasn't sure how it felt to talk on the phone anymore. And, um, and so, because <laughs> I do like texting. All of you guys that know me, I'm so much better to respond on a text. But what I discovered is I actually can have a life-giving connection with someone by calling them, guys, hello, well, that was not intended to be a pun. <laughs> but let's be honest for a second. In this room, there are people who know exactly what you're going through, who can be your champion, who can help you know that you belong, and you might have to call them. So my question to you is, are you willing? Are you willing to do what it takes? Just letting it sink in. The reason why I shared this passage in, in Luke is, is this, because what's inside of you is what comes out, right? So if the, if the fruit that we're bearing is this fear of having connections with people, then we need to go inward and figure out why. If the fruit that we're bearing is the need to distance ourselves from the people who might be helpful for you, then we got to figure that out, right? Because here's the thing. There's only so much your pastors can do. There's only so much God can do. You play a part in your transformation, it's not all, I'm, not, I'm not advocating striving. I'm not saying this is a pick yourself up by the bootstraps kind of thing. I'm saying it's you surrendering. This last couple of weeks, the biggest thing, this is the last thing I'm going to say to you guys, the biggest thing that's been on my heart has been, am I functioning in my own strength or am I really in the Lord's strength? So let me give you a very practical, embarrassing example, okay? Uh, this is my fourth kid to potty train, and I don't like it any more on the fourth time than I did the other three times. I'm not a good potty training mom. I got some things going for me. I'm a great potty planning mom. I'm a great creative mom. I don't do the potty training thing well. And, uh, and so I, I have not been thriving the last two months of having an almost three-year-old, okay? So last week I said, oh, Lord, are there potty training angels in heaven? And can you send me some? <laughs> this was a real honest conversation because I was cleaning up a mess and I was thinking, I do not have the, in my own mind, I don't have my own strength to keep doing this, Lord, because I, I, oh, I don't want to do this, God. And I said, Lord, I don't know if there are angels who can come and potty train grace, 
But if there are, I'm available. Test them on me. Let's do a prototype and see what happens, right? And I started laughing and I thought, man, I'm ridiculous. And then I thought, but you know what, Lord? I've been doing this on my own strength. I've been just sucking it up. I've, just been, I've not been tapping into the grace that you provide as a mother, right? And so I said, Lord, I just need your help. Listen, guys, in the last week and a half, it's been God. We're not potty trained yet, and I'm not going to give you all the details of what, where we're at in the process. But what I can say is there's been no less than three moments where I've sat back and I've thought, that was the Lord. There's no other explanation for it, but what's connecting in her mind and her development, it's God, right? And it's been this really fun thing for me because I realized I was in my own way. Clearly, I didn't have that story in my notes, so I'm sorry if that was way TMI for all of you. But here's the thing. We get in our own way all the time, and then we start working in our own strength, and then we don't tap into the grace that God has given. So in the context of relationships, this is my challenge for you. Pay attention. Pay attention to the fruit that's coming out. And then I'm just encouraging you, get into his strength to renew that place, to renew your mind, and to decide which foundation you're going to build, which builder are you going to be. Amen? Amen. All right. So full stop, left turn. Here's your turn signal. You're making a hard left now. Something totally unrelated. Um, so it is my, uh, what's the opposite of privilege? Sure. Thank you, Wally. I can always count on you. No, I'm just messing with you. So we have a big transition that's coming up here that is equal parts exhilarating and also heartbreaking. And uh, whoo, come on up. You can come on up, Grant. Uh, this is why we did this at the end, because I was pretty sure I'd start crying. I didn't want to not be able to preach today. So a few months ago, Macoby and Caitlin have been really pressing into the Lord and saying, Lord, what's next for us? And um, some amazing opportunities have opened up for them. And so this is your formal announcement. They're stepping down from their roles as kids pastor and worship pastor and uh, drummer and um, on our leadership team and all the other things they've been doing to hold this church together. Macoby has been accepted into a special boot camp for evangelists with Reinhard Bonnke. Um, which is incredible, incredible opportunity. There's 50, there, I think they took 50 people, yeah. Uh, and for whatever it's worth, he is who he is because of Caitlin's incredible prophetic and, uh, and uh, incredible abilities to steward him as a wife. Um, anyways, uh, so they, he got accepted to this. So in January, they're going to be moving to Florida um, for six months for this boot camp where they're going to be trained on what it looks like to do worldwide crusades and it's going to culminate with him getting to go to Africa with Daniel Kalinda and do a big crusade there with like a enormous amount of people. Yeah, gazillions of people. If you guys remember, we showed a video of Reinhard Bonnke a couple months ago. Uh, I think they've had at this point, I just saw this the other day, something like 78 million salvations since the 80s when he started his ministry. And uh, he passed that ministry on to Daniel Kalinda, I think, I don't know, a couple years ago. So this is a world-class opportunity for them. Um, it is exhilarating. And for us personally, it's heartbreaking on so many levels. We've known Caitlin since she was 15, and uh, she was in our youth group in Norman, and we've known McCoby for about five years um, since he was a young buck as well. And um, <laughs> listen, there are not two better people in the world, in my opinion, who have laid down their lives for the sake of who Jesus is and who have taken him at his word at every single turn. Yeah. And so we are sending them 
we are sending them to what's next with fire and expectation and money and joy and prayers and everything in between because uh, we've known from the, I think probably the second time, the first time we met McCovey wasn't so great, but the second time was really good. We can tell you that story later. And um, anyways, Grant and I have always said from the day we met him, man, God has great things on his life, huge, huge things. And we've known that since we met Caitlin when she was 15 years old. They're both incredibly prophetic people, very gifted people, and have a huge heart to see God do crazy stuff in the darkest places. So I remember being at Voice of the Apostles like four years ago, and Caitlin had this crazy dream of this five-year timeline, and it's all pretty much happened exactly like she saw it. And um, because that's how prophetic she is. And we were saying, okay, so we probably have three to five years left for you guys to be here. And it was like one of those moments where we both just tried to keep it light so we wouldn't cry. And I'm having that moment right now. So anyway, so we're going to pray over them. Um, They're going to be here until they move in terms of like they might not be here every single Sunday, but they're going to be around. Um, We're going to do like an official send off celebration for them in December. Um, So that's coming up in at that, we'll give you guys some heads up, you know, encourage you, give them, you know, a card, give them an encouragement, be praying for them. This is a big transi- uh, transition for them and for baby Mia. And um, it's going to be amazing. Uh, and so, anyways, so we're going to pray for them. They are raising something like $17,000 to do this. So that includes the price of the school, the actual... Um, Mission trip, thank you. And then the living expenses of while they're going to be there. We're still trying to work out some of the details of what type of job could be done. The school is pretty intense. So anyways, we would love to send them with every dollar of that 17000 So if you want to give to them, you can give to Bethel OKC and just put in the memo, Donaldson's, um, and we'll make sure it gets to them so that we can do that. So do you want to say anything, Grant? Yes, I do. <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> um You'll hear more before it's over. But I just want to commend these guys because um, two months ago, maybe three months ago, he started feeling like there's a transition coming, and it terrified him, and he didn't want to talk about it, and he just kind of stayed quiet about it. But he just really felt like the Lord was like, hey, change is coming, change is coming. He had no idea what it was. And so finally the Lord kind of kicked him in the butt, like hard, several times. And he was like, you have to go tell Grant and Rachel, like, come on, what are you waiting for? And it was like a month late, you know? Um, So, uh, and then, (laughs) just the way God works is funny to me. So that day that God was like, you have to tell them, Rachel randomly set up a hangout for them to come over to our house. And so we hung out for several hours. And then even in the hangout, he was like, I don't want to tell them, I don't want to say anything. Like, I don't know, I'm not going to do anything. Having no idea what God was calling him into, just feeling like there's a change I need to obey. I have no idea why this feels terrible. And um, he left the hangout time for a few minutes, and the Lord was like, if you leave this house without telling them, I'm going to get you. (laughs) So he comes back out, and he's like, sits down, he's like, okay, well, got something to tell you. I don't know why. I don't know what God's doing, but he's saying, like, the season is over, like the, the youth ministry season's over, the drumming season's over, like the season with Bethel is coming to a close, like I don't know why. And um, lots of tears and crying and like, oh my gosh, what in the world are we going to do without you? Like, oh, we love you guys. But he obeyed and then that week, week for sure, maybe like the next day or two, he had literally no idea, like there was nothing wrong, no reason to leave, just really felt like in his spirit, there's a change. And then that week, he super randomly, and it was the week after we showed the Reinhardt thing, he had just connected with one of Reinhardt's associates. 
and he heard about this school, and they were like, hey, we're taking only 50 in the world to come and learn how to do crusades like we do and go in advance and, you know, basically, like, probably won't get in, but you can try to apply. And he just, like, really felt, this is God. I've got to be there. I've got to apply at least. And they got in. <laughs> it's amazing. So anyway, I just love the, the obedience. Like, okay, even when it hurts, even when it makes no sense, he said yes. And then, and then God opened the door. And God has the most amazing things in store. And we really do want to launch them out mm-hmm. and fully funded and watch them thrive, you know. So we love you guys. We're very proud of you. So we're going to pray. Uh, do you guys want to say anything quickly? We'll give you a longer chance to talk later, but we'll leave it for we'll another leave it for time. December. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so we want to pray for them, and you know, I remember uh, when I was in—I don't know—it's probably 22 years old—watching our church's college pastor, who was incredible, being sent out to plant a church in California, and the feeling, the loss of. What are we going to do without these people? They are a staple of who we are and the foundation of our culture and all of that. And I remember our our senior pastor at the time saying, um, when God sends out your best, there's another best that's coming. And I've held on to that through this whole thing like crazy because we're sending out, I mean, our best, I don't mean that as like a hierarchy of anything like that, but, uh, but we're sending out amazing, amazing foundational people of this body. And so we're believing for there to be a return to come in its wake. We don't exactly know yet what we're going to do with the kids and with the youth and uh, the drums. And so we're accepting uh, information on all those areas. Um, (laughs) Yeah, leads, uh, prayers, fasts, tambourines, whatever. Um, And so (laughs) anyways, but we're trusting God because we know this is him. There's no doubt about it. Amen. So uh, let's just do this. If you guys know them and you want to come up and pray for them, we're just going to pray a blessing of transition. They've got a few months before um, the Lord's sending them out. They don't know what's coming on the back end of June when the crusade is over. So we're going to ask just to be led by a pillar of fire. Um, as they have been so far. So we're going to give you guys a chance to pray. We'll take two or three minutes, and then I'll pray to close us up. So.